knows better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. believers, we have a lot of relationships that are enjoyable, relationships that we receive a lot from, a lot of blessings come because of them. And the first three relationships that Paul has dealt with here in Romans chapter 12, I would hope would fit into this category, especially the first one, our relationship with God would hopefully bring plenty of blessings, something that we're excited for, something that we receive a lot from, uh, our relationship with other believers, another one of those things. But now we come to a relationship that for many of us is one of the most difficult, uh, one of the hardest, and that is our relationship with unbelievers, and more specifically of what Paul's going to deal with this morning is relationship with unbelievers who do evil to us. Because I'm sure a lot of you have relationships with unbelievers, maybe family or co-workers or neighbors or friends, and, and it's a good relationship. So not all relationships with unbelievers is difficult. You can be blessed by them, but it's those that do evil to us, those who sin against us, those who are the ones that, you know, we find that relationship to be one of the most difficult ones for us to function properly with, for us to respond in a biblical way to. And so, you know, the reality is, as Christians, we have a lot of relationships, or at least we have a lot of people in our life who are unbelievers, who are going to do sinful things to us, who are going to do evil things to us. And, um, you know, that's just a reality. And I think sometimes it's kind of interesting to me how Christians kind of get surprised by that. You know, we're surprised that the sinful world sins against us. Uh, but we shouldn't be surprised because the Bible makes it very clear that's going to be the reality for you and me. Jesus said this in John. John 15, 18 through 19, he says, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you're of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The world hated Jesus. They did evil to Jesus. He was perfect. He did nothing wrong, but yet they hated him. And he's saying, hey, if they did this to me, if they persecuted me, if they treated me evilly, what do you think they're going to do to you who follow me? What do you think they're going to do to you who worship me? That the same reality is going to be for you and I. It's not a possibly, it's not a maybe, it's a, it's a definitely, this is going to take place. 2 Timothy 3.12, we have a promise given to us, maybe one that we don't like. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Well, who's going to be persecuting us? It's the evil world. That's who's persecuting us. When you live godly lives, the reality is the sinful world that does not want anything to do with God is going to persecute those of us who follow him, those of us who live for him. So something important for us to remember is that an unbeliever, they're a sinner. They don't know Jesus, and more importantly, they haven't been changed 
by Jesus. So why should we expect sinful people who don't know Jesus, who haven't been changed by Jesus, to treat us in some godly way? Why should we expect sinful people to do anything but sin against us? We shouldn't. The reality is that's just going to happen because that's the way they are. The only thing that's going to change that is if they accept Jesus Christ and he changes their life. But until that time, the world around us who is sinful, who doesn't know Jesus, who hasn't been changed by him, they are going to do evil things to us and we should just expect that. Now the reason I bring that up is because it brings an important question for you and I. Since this is the reality of the world that we live in, How should we respond when an unbeliever does something evil against us? Since that's something that's going to happen, and I'm sure all of us have experienced that, and we will continue to experience that, so the question is, how should we respond as Christians? What's the godly, biblical response to those who do evil against us? Well, that's what Paul is going to answer as he deals with this relationship that we now have with the unbelieving world who does evil against us. How should we respond to that? And Paul's going to give us four practical challenges, four ways that you and I need to respond when an unbeliever does something sinful and evil to us. And three of these four challenges are kind of a twofold challenge. He's going to start with what you shouldn't do and follow it up with then what you should do. And so this is very important for us, not only to intellectually understand, but to put into practice. Because we have these relationships, we have these people, I'm sure they're at your work, I'm sure they live near you, we're surrounded by people who are going to do this. And so we need to be able to put these things into practice if we're going to respond to the evil the world brings to us in a godly way. And so let's read the verses we're going to cover this morning, and then we'll start with the first challenge that Paul gives us. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 17, says this. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, Give him a drink, for in doing so you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The first challenge that Paul gives to us of how we should respond to unbelievers who do evil against us is repay no one evil for evil. Instead, we should have good regard or have regard for good things in the sight of all men. So here's the first twofold challenge that Paul gives us, and he starts with what we shouldn't do, and he follows it with what we should do. So the thing that we shouldn't do is we should not repay evil for evil. The Greek word translated repay means to pay back or give back. When someone does something evil to us, the the desire of our flesh, our sinful flesh, wants payback. We want to pay them back for what they've done to us. They do evil to us. We want to pay them back with evil of our own. 
You know, a truck driver stopped in a little diner in Nebraska and ordered a burger, a fries, and a Coke. And then uh, right when he got his order, three big bikers came in looking for a fight. And these bikers come up to him. And the first biker comes and grabs his burger and takes a big bite out of it. The second biker grabs a handful of his fries and bites it. The third biker takes his Coke and drinks some of it and pours it on his head. And they say, what are you going to do about it? Hoping that he's going to get up and fight them. That's what they desire. And he doesn't fight them. To their dismay, he just gets up, pays the bill, walks out. The waitress walks to see what's going on. She sees the truck driver drive away. She goes back to these three bikers to take their order. And one of the bikers says, well, he wasn't much of a man, was he? The waitress responds, he's also not much of a truck driver. He just ran over three motorcycles on his way out. (laughs) I like that story because my flesh likes payback. Yeah, you hear what they did to him, and you think, you know what? They got what they deserved. Their motorcycles are destroyed because of the way they treated this guy. And there's something within us that, you know, we like that. We like payback. And the Word of God tells us, you know what? That's not the way we should do it. The world says, don't get mad, get even. God says, don't repay evil for evil. Proverbs 24, 29 says this. Do not say, I will do to him just as he has done to me. I will render to the man according to his work. You know, what this verse tells us not to do is our typical response. Someone does something to me, I will render back to him what he's done. You know, you hit me, I'll hit you back. You say something bad, I'll say something back. You know, there's this desire to get back at people, to render evil to people who have done it to us. And God says, that is not the way we should respond. When someone does evil to us, our response should never be to do evil back to them. It's never okay. It's never justified. We can never say, oh, wait, this is what they did, so I'm justified in doing evil to them. There's never justification for sin. Someone sins against you as a believer, there's never justification to say, well, I get to now sin against them. That's never going to be something that God wants from us, and it's not something that ever makes the situation better. It just magnifies it. Now you're just guilty of doing what they did, sinning. And so that's something that our flesh wants, but yet something that God commands us to not do. So when someone does something evil, the first thing we shouldn't do is repay them evil for evil. But we shouldn't stop there. And that's something I love about the Bible, because oftentimes we have these kind of negative commands of things we shouldn't do, and, but that's not all the Bible speaks about. It's not just what we should avoid. It's also how we then should conduct ourselves. And so, you know, I love the fact that Paul here brings this out. It's not just avoid responding with evil, but now what should you do in its place? When someone does something evil to you, okay, yeah, I'm not going to respond that way, but okay, well then what should I do towards them? And we take it one step further, and Paul says we should have regard for good things in the sight of all men. The Greek word here translated regard means to give thought to, to think of beforehand. So what Paul is saying is that you and I, we need to give thought to, we need to think of beforehand the good things that we're going to do when people do evil things to us. And this is something that's so important. When when someone comes and does something evil to us, our fleshly inclination is to get back. And so Paul is challenging us, before they ever come and do it, before they ever come and do something evil to you, be prepared to respond with something 
good. And you know, I found if we're not prepared, the likelihood is when it happens, we're not going to respond the way that we should. And this is something that is so important to spend daily time with Jesus Christ. And I think it's great to do it at the beginning of the day because as you then approach the day, you're so much more prepared to respond with goodness and love when people do evil against you. But if you haven't prepared yourself for that, then you're most likely just going to respond with your own fleshly response, which is most likely going to be rendering evil back to them as opposed to doing good to them. Jesus encourages us in a very similar way in Luke chapter 6, verses 27 and 28. He says, But I say to you, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. So when this world does evil to us, Jesus says, don't just be satisfied with not doing evil back. Go one step further, a big step further, Do good to them. Pray for them. Bless them. What a challenge for us. I think this is probably one of the most difficult things for us to do, to show this kind of love and goodness to people that are our enemies, to people that are sinning against us, to people who are doing evil to us. But Jesus challenges us, hey, what good is it if you just love those who love you? Sinners do that. The real test of love is are you willing and able to love people who hate you, who do evil to you? Are you willing to pray for them? Are you willing to bless them? Are you willing to do good to them? That's the challenge here that we have. The first challenge that I want you to note of how we should respond to unbelievers who do evil against us. Don't repay them with evil. Instead, be prepared to respond to their evil with good. We need to deny that fleshly desire to pay them back and trust in the power of the Spirit of God to overcome that desire and then follow it up with good behavior towards these people. The second thing that Paul challenges us with in our relationship with unbelievers is in verse 18. He says, If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. As Christians, the desire for God for us is that we would seek to live peaceably with everyone. God wants us to live at peace with people. That's his desire for you and for I. But I want you to notice that Paul gives two qualifying statements before he gives us this challenge to live peaceably with everyone. The first qualifying statement is, if it's possible. If it is possible, then you need to live peaceably with everyone. You see, Paul knew it wasn't always possible to live peaceably with everyone because sometimes people won't let you live at peace with them. In order for peace to happen, both parties have to be willing to have it happen. If one party is bound on war, if one party is not willing for peace to take place, then it never will. And so there's a reality that even though you want peace... It's not always possible because the other party might not. And the other party might not be willing. And they might continue to come at you and make it so it's impossible to have peace. And remember who Paul is writing to. He's writing to believers in Rome. At this time, persecution of Christians were rampant. And so, you know, these were people where many of the Romans would never have peace with Christians. They'd rather imprison them and kill them. And so, you know, he's saying, hey, if it's possible... I know it's not always. I know you're surrounded by people who would never allow peace to happen in a relationship with them. But when it's possible, make sure 
you do it. So the first qualifying statement is, if it's possible, live peaceably with everyone. The second one is more of a challenge for us, and that is, as much as depends on you. As much as depends on you and I, we need to live peaceably with everyone. The emphasis here is that you and I would do everything we possibly can to make sure peace happens in relationships with other people. So if peace isn't going to happen, make sure it's not because of you. Make sure it's not because of you that the peace will not transpire and take place in that relationship. You know, oftentimes we aren't living in peace with our neighbor or we aren't living in peace with the world around us because of something that we have done or perhaps something that we haven't done for them. It's on us. Or perhaps you know, they've done something evil to us and then we haven't been willing to forgive them and because of that there's no peace in the relationship. Or perhaps you know, we've responded in a sinful, they've, they've sinned against us and, you know, or we've sinned against them and you know, there's no forgiveness and reconciliation. and um, you know, There's all sorts of reasons of we don't reach out with kindness. We're not willing for it to happen. And for some Christians, they're always looking for a fight to pick with unbelievers instead of trying to build a relationship with them to reach them with the gospel. James Boyce said this, We are to love and win people, not root them out to beat them senseless. You know, it seems that many Christians have missed the role of what we're supposed to be doing with the unbelieving world. And I'm saddened by it. I see too many Christians where it's like, what are you trying to do with the world? What do you think our relationships as Christians should be with the world? Well, there's only one real relationship that we should be focused on. The one main thing that God has told us to do, reach them with the gospel. They're lost. We get so upset that they're so sinful and evil, but you know what? That's what we were before Christ. There's nothing that's going to change them except for Jesus, except for the gospel. So our focus should be, let's reach them with the gospel. But sadly, too often, that's not the focus of many Christians. They're they're just fighting. They want war. You know, how dare you treat me or how dare you act this way or how dare you believe this way? It's like, well, what do you expect them to believe? How do you expect them to act? They're lost. We're the ones who should be reaching them with the gospel, with the love of Christ. And too often, we're not willing to seek peace. We're not willing to build relationships with lost people And we're the cause of why those relationships don't happen. We should be peacemakers, as Jesus calls us to be, not warmongers. You know, we need to understand it's far more likely to win someone to Christ when you're at peace with them than when you're at war with them. I don't know people like, oh man, I really hated that guy, and then I just listened to everything he said. No, it's when we build those bridges, when we make those relationships, that we get the wonderful blessing of sharing the gospel. Now, some people take this challenge to an unbiblical extreme. They claim we should do anything possible, even compromise the word of God, compromise our faith in order to build peace. And their thought process is, hey, the world, one of the reasons they're not at peace with us is because we're calling them sinners. We're saying their lifestyle's wrong. We're, we're calling them out here and there. And so if we would just avoid that, if we would just abandon what the Bible says, if we wouldn't stand for it, if we wouldn't live for it, hey, we'd have peace with them. Well, that might be true, but that's not the kind of peace that God wants. He doesn't want us to gain peace by becoming like the world. He wants us to gain peace by staying true 
to what his word says and seeking to gain peace and knowing it's not always possible because some of them won't allow it to be possible. So this is not saying, hey, no matter what, try to gain peace, even if you have to compromise to do it. No, the Bible never speaks of us compromising our faith or the word of God in order to seek peace with the world that's rejecting him. But we are to do everything we can that doesn't compromise our faith or the word of God to reach people and have peace with them. John MacArthur said this, short of compromising God's truth and standards, we should be willing to go great lengths to build peaceful bridges to those who hate us and harm us. We must forsake any grudge or settled bitterness and fully forgive from the heart all who harm us. So sometimes there's no peace between us and unbelievers because, hey, they don't want it and it's never going to happen because they're not going to allow it to happen. But sadly, other times, it's because we don't want it. And we're not doing all we can to make it happen. And if that's the case, we need to repent. If that's the case, we need to change because God says whatever depends on us, if it's on us, we need to make sure we're doing all we can to live in peace with the unbelieving world around us. So the second challenge that Paul gives us for how we should respond to unbelievers who do evil against us is we need to do everything we can that doesn't compromise God's word to live at peace with everyone. And as we pursue peace with unbelievers, let's make sure the main thing we show them is that they can have peace with God. That should be our heart. I'm pursuing peace with you for the ultimate desire of I want you to see what Jesus has done for you to make it possible for you to be at peace with God, to have a relationship with God, to get the gospel out, and to realize my behavior towards you might impact greatly whether or not you're receptive. And so I want to do all I can not to hinder the good news of the gospel as I seek to reach you. The third challenge that Paul gives us in our relationship with unbelievers is in verses 19 and 20. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink, for in doing so you will heap coals of fire on his head. Once again, we have another twofold challenge of what we shouldn't do followed by what we should do. And the thing that we shouldn't do is avenge ourselves. The Greek word translated avenge means to vindicate one's rights, to inflict punishment on somebody for a wrong done to you, to exact vengeance for a crime. When someone does something evil to us, this is often our initial response. We want to avenge Ourself. You know, I know I like these movies. I know a lot of men like these movies because most of the movies produced for men are movies that kind of deal with this, you know, revenge we see where we like when the good guy gets revenge on the bad guy. We like to see the person who's been hurt in some way get revenge on the people that have hurt him. You know, we like those lines like in the movie Taken where the father has his daughter kidnapped and he's on the phone with the kidnapper and he tells him, you know, I'm going to find you and I'm going to kill you. And we're thinking, yeah, go and find him and go and kill him. He deserves what he gets for doing that. There, you know, Hollywood's realized there's a lot of people who like revenge movies. There's something within us that want to get revenge. We want to avenge ourselves. But what Paul is challenging us with is when an unbeliever does something evil against us, that we wouldn't 
avenge ourselves. We wouldn't seek to get revenge. But just like with the last one, it wouldn't stop there. It wouldn't just be, well, I'm not going to try to get back at you, but know that we would go beyond that. And there are two things that Paul tells us to do after we don't get revenge. The first thing we need to do is give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So when an unbeliever does something evil against you, don't get revenge. Instead, look at what we're told. Give place to God's wrath. For it's written, God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So what Paul is challenging us with is that we would leave the vengeance in God's hand. That we would trust God to deal with this person who has done this evil to us. God wants us to leave the vengeance with Him. You know, this is a really good test of our trust in God. There's a lot of things in life that test our trust, but I think this is one of those big ones. Am I really willing to trust God to deal with this evil person? Am I really willing to trust God to get vengeance and to to leave that in His hands, trust Him with it, as opposed to try to do it myself? A wonderful example of this in the Old Testament is in the life of David where he trusts God to avenge him instead of avenging himself, and he does it multiple times. If you know the story of David, Saul, who was king at the time, very jealous of David and God's blessing of David and how David killed Goliath and that so many people were chanting and praising David and Saul was jealous, and so Saul wanted to kill him. David didn't do anything wrong, yet Saul wants his life, and Saul gets his army and seeks to hunt down David, and David runs out into the wilderness. And we find that there is opportunity for David to avenge himself. Opportunity for him to kill the man who is hunting him down, even though he's innocent. And I want you to note what David chooses to do and what he says. He has this opportunity to kill Saul, and he chooses not to kill him. Instead, he just takes his knife, and he cuts a little piece of Saul's garment, and he goes a distance away, and then he speaks to Saul, and I want you to note the words that he says in 1 Samuel 24, 11-15. Moreover, my father, see, yes, the corner of your robe is in my hand. For in that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you. Know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand, and I have not sinned against you. Yet you hunt my life to take it. Let the Lord judge between you and me, and let the Lord avenge me on you. But my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients say, wickedness proceeds from the wicked, but my hand shall not be against you. Therefore, let the Lord be judge and judge between you and me and see and plead my case and deliver me out of your hand. David could have avenged himself against Saul, and this happened more than once, but each time he chooses not to. He chooses to say, you know what, I'm leaving this with God. I'm not going to take this into my own hands. I'm going to let God avenge me. And God does. God removes Saul as king, and he ultimately takes Saul's life and all of the lineage of Saul with it and brings David into the throne. And so as David sits back, and maybe he's thinking, oh, maybe I should have killed him. He's still hunting me. He's still coming after me. That was a mistake. No. It was doing what God wanted him to do. And ultimately, God did take vengeance on David's behalf. So when an unbeliever does something evil to you or I, don't seek to avenge yourself. Instead, trust God. Trust Him 
to take care of the situation. Trust him to do it justly, because rarely do we do it justly when we seek to get vengeance. God always keeps his promises, and he tells us vengeance is his, and he will repay these people who wrong us. You know, I think another reason that we shouldn't avenge ourselves, that's a one that we should. God tells us to, that should be enough. But just on a practical note, when we do it, we almost always bring more hurt and problems into our life than if we wouldn't. There was a tenant farmer who had worked hard for many years to improve the production of the land he leased. And then something happened, some bad news he got. The owner of the farm said, my son is getting married, and as a wedding present, I'm going to give him this land. Well, the farmer was desperate to keep the land, and so several times he made a very generous offer for the land, but each time the owner said, no, I'm giving it to my son. Finally, the the farmer with only weeks left to be on this farm, so frustrated with everything that's going on, said, you know, I'll get that owner, and he finds the most pesky weed seed that he can, and he spreads it over all this wonderful, plush, fertile soil, throws trash and rocks everywhere, and he feels so good about himself, if I got this guy, yeah, let's see what this son has now when he comes to get this farm. And to his dismay, the next morning, the farmer said, or the owner said, the wedding's off, I'm willing to continue to lease the land to you. And so sad but so true of all the times that we seek to avenge ourselves. And this is kind of the end result so often. What we do, thinking, oh, we're really going to get back at this person, oftentimes just comes back to hurt us and to hurt those that we love. Now, just like with the last verse, there are believers who take this to an unbiblical extreme. They say this verse is teaching that you should never defend yourself. But that is not what this is teaching is all. There's a very big difference between avenging yourself and defending yourself. Avenging yourself is when you try to afflict punishment, when you try to inflict pain on someone to exact vengeance for an evil that has already been done to you. So whatever has been done, it's over. It's been done, it's in the past, and then you now want to go and get your revenge. And the Bible says that's never okay. That's very different than defending yourself. Because defending yourself is when someone is seeking to do you harm, and in that moment when they're seeking to do that, you defend yourself. You keep them from hurting you or your loved ones or whatever. And there's nothing wrong biblically with that. That's something that the Bible is very fine with us doing. So there's nothing wrong with self-defense. But once it's already been done, once the crime has already happened and they're gone, for you then to go hunt them down and then go beat them or do whatever, that's vengeance. That's avenging yourself, and that is what the Bible says is wrong, and so does our law. Uh, You're not allowed to take the law into your own hand. And so both of them would say, don't do it. So the first thing that you and I should do is give place to God's wrath. The second thing that we should do is even more difficult for us in verse 20. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. As we leave vengeance with God, we shouldn't just be sitting around waiting for God to get that person. All right, Lord, is today the day? You're going to strike him down? Are you just going to give them some horrible disease? Or how are you going to punish them? I'm ready. Let's do it. You know, I've been waiting for weeks. As we leave vengeance in God's hand, that should not be our mindset towards the person that has done this against us. 
Instead, we need to take another step, a very difficult step, one that we often struggle with, and that is the step of saying, you know what, I am going to do good to you. You've done evil to me, and my response to your evil is going to be good. And notice that Paul gives us some practical things. If your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. Say, hey, if they're in need, then go and do something good. Help meet their need. Instead of, hey, they deserve what they're getting. Hey, look at what they've done to me. And when you demonstrate goodness and love to those people who demonstrate evil to you, he says it's like heaping coals of fire on their head. He's not saying literally throw coals of fire on their head. This is just you know, speaking of the fact that it's, it's just burning conviction. That if someone does something evil to you and you respond with good back, it just increases the conviction on that person. I know all of us are guilty of doing horrible things to people, doing sinful things to people. We've done that. And I'm sure the response we're expecting is they're going to do back to us the way we did to them. And so we're expecting evil back. We're expecting, you know, the harsh words or the, you know, the punch in the face or whatever it may be. But when someone responds with love and goodness, man, the conviction that we have greatly increases because of what we've done. We see now how horrible we are in a greater way. And oftentimes that conviction leads people to repentance. You know, this is definitely the case for each one of us before we had a relationship with God. What is it that led us to repentance? What is it that led us to that place of accepting what Jesus has done and repenting of our sin? Well, the Bible tells us in Romans 2.4, Or do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? That's what led us to repent. The goodness of God, not the wrath of God. The goodness of God, His his goodness towards us, all that He did for us, it brought us to this place of wanting a relationship with Him. It brought us to this place of repentance. You know what? If we truly want to see our enemy repent, and perhaps maybe we don't, and that's where we need to have a heart change. We should desire that those who are sinners, those who are evil, those who are lost, we should want repentance from them. And if we truly want repentance from them, then we need to show the goodness of God, not the vengeance of men. The vengeance of us is not going to produce repentance in them. Only the goodness of God will do that. William MacDonald said this, Christianity goes beyond non-resistance to active benevolence. It does not destroy its enemy by violence, but converts them by love. If you truly want to see the person who did evil to you repent and get right with God, then taking vengeance against them is definitely not the way. Love them. Do good to them and watch how it brings conviction to them. And hopefully we see them come to Christ through it. So the third challenge that Paul gives us for how we should respond to unbelievers who do evil against us is don't avenge yourself. Instead, trust God to avenge you. And do good to that person with the desire to see them come to repentance. Vengeance just leads people to do more evil to us. If that's really what you want, then that's what you're going to get. You respond with evil, it's this horrible cycle. They just do more, and then you do more, and then they do more, and it gets worse, and it gets worse. And we as believers are ones who should stop the cycle by demonstrating 
love. The fourth and final thing that Paul challenges us with in our relationship with unbelievers is in verse 21. He says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This final challenge shares with us something very important to understand about evil. When it comes to evil, we are really only left with two choices. We can allow evil to overcome us, or we can overcome evil. You see, we're all in a battle with evil. And like with any battle, you're either going to overcome your enemy or your enemy is going to overcome you. You don't get to have a a, a treaty in this battle. You don't get to just say, well, I'm not in it when you actually are. The reality is you're in the battle and you're either going to be overcome by your enemy evil or you're going to overcome your enemy. Those are the two choices that we have. The Greek word translated overcome means to conquer, prevail, or be victorious over something. So Paul's challenge for us is that we would not allow evil to overcome, to conquer and be victorious over us. And one of the main ways that you and I are overcome and conquered by evil is when we respond, when evil people do evil things to us, and we respond with evil of our own. Evil can never be conquered by more evil. If someone demonstrates hatred to you and you hate them back, if someone says something vile to you and you say something vile back, you are not conquering their evil. You are joining in their evil and that evil is conquering you. It would be like trying to put out a fire in your house by starting more fires. You're only making the problem worse. You're not stopping anything. You're just doing more evil and just causing the problem to get bigger. So when someone demonstrates evil to us, we need to make sure we are not overcome by evil. And the way that we stop ourselves from being overcome by evil is don't respond with evil yourself. So not responding with evil keeps us from being overcome by evil, but just as Paul's been doing this whole time, is like, that's not enough. You need to go a step further. We need to seek to overcome evil, and the way to overcome evil is with good. Proverbs 10, 12 says this, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. Proverbs 15, 1, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The way to overcome the evil that people demonstrate to us is by demonstrating goodness back to them. When someone says something harsh to you, instead of responding with something harsh back, you respond with something soft and something loving. And watch how that diffuses the situation instead of escalating it with your own sinful words. If someone does something hateful to you, instead of responding with hatred, respond with love and with goodness. Brian Bell said this, To return evil for good is devil-like. To return evil for evil is beast-like. To return good for good is manlike. To return good for evil is godlike. Usually, we only respond with goodness to those who demonstrate goodness to us. And God says, You know what? I want you to go beyond that. I want you to be like me. I want you to be willing to show goodness to those who don't show goodness to you. Actually, I want you to be willing to show goodness to those who show evil to you. That is what ultimately is going to overcome evil is through you demonstrating goodness to them. I read a story about a Christian man who 
joined the army and was ridiculed because each night he knelt by his bunk and he prayed. And one of the soldiers who gave him the hardest time one night after they had this long run in the mud and they're exhausted and everyone's getting in their bunks and this man once again kneels by his bunk and he starts to pray. And as he's praying, two muddy boots hit him upside the head and in the back. And he doesn't say anything, doesn't do anything, just takes the boots, puts them down, continues to pray. In the morning, the man who threw those boots finds his boots next to his bunk, cleaned and polished. And the conviction that hit him moved him. He finally sought forgiveness for what he did to this soldier and ultimately actually accepted Christ through it. This man overcame evil with good. And that is what Paul is challenging us to do. So the fourth challenge that Paul gives us for how we should respond to unbelievers who do evil against us is overcome evil by responding with good, not more evil. We're in a battle against evil. And the only way to win it is with good. And the only way you and I can respond to evil with good is when we rely upon the power of the Spirit of God, the strength of the Spirit of God within us. Because the reality is, if we're relying upon ourselves. What we want is to render evil for evil, to repay evil for evil. We don't want to do this. So if you're relying on yourself, you're not going to do this. This is one of those things where you desperately need, just like anything in the Christian life, but maybe this more than many, because it's so hard for us that we would trust in the Lord to help us do this and realize it's possible. It's possible because the Spirit of God can do it. It's possible because God doesn't command us to do things that he won't give us the power to accomplish, and he will give you and I the power to do this, even though it goes against our fleshly desires, even though it's very difficult for us, yet we can do it if we trust in him, look to him, and depend on him. We serve a great God who not only empowers us to obey him, he also answers prayers, opens up doors for ministry, and I think a wonderful example of that, and I wanted her to share with us this morning is in Savannah's life, how God has answered the prayer that she has prayed for a long time to be a full-time missionary in Africa, and the Lord has opened up that door. He's done a great work with that, and so I'm going to have her come and share that, and to share how God's opened the doors, to share what God is doing, to share how we can pray for her, how we can support her, uh, and then I'd just like, her to take, like us to take some time just to uh, pray for her um, as we do that. So Savannah, why don't you come on up? and share with us. Hello? Hello? Is it on? Good? We good? Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Savannah Crabtree. Um, a verse that the Lord, it's cool because we sang about it and then Pastor Matt um, mentioned it. Um, Psalm 7, 13 and 14. And it said, I would have lost heart unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He shall strengthen, strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And so that is a verse that I have seen come to fruition in my own life. Um, When I was 
10 years old, I had a dream of being a missionary. And then when I was 12, the Lord put Africa on my heart, and it was my dream and my prayer to go. And so now, 13 years later, um, God is answering the cry of my heart and answering so many years of prayer, and I'm able to go as a missionary to Uganda. Um, I'll be a teacher, for an English teacher for a primary school that's kindergarten through eighth grade, and I'll be helping. They have a kids club program that has about four to 600 kids come on Saturday, and we feed them a meal, and then we also... Um, kind of do like a VBS during the day with them. And then my heart really is for discipleship. So I will be um, working and hopefully partnering up with girls and just sharing them who God is and walking through life with them and um, loving on them and encouraging them to Christ. I did my first mission trip when I was 16. I taught um, English camps in Slovakia and we were able to present the gospel and share about Jesus through these camps. And then um, since then, my summers were usually I would go on a missions trip. And every time I went, it was like, wow, this is what I want to do. Wow, this is so cool. Look what God is doing. Look at the opportunity just to love people and share who Jesus is and really pour into them. And then when I was 21, I got to go with Pottersfield Ministries. They have an Ignite program, which is a year-long missions training program. And so I was able to spend six months in Kenya. And so while in Kenya, I we taught at five different schools. We would go to an orphanage. And then we had our kids club program. And I was able to, every week, pour into between 60 and 87 and 8-year-olds and love them and share Jesus with them and go through Bible lessons. And then also we would have girls' days and just invite the girls over and talk about their identity in Christ, talk about their rights as a woman and purity and how much the Lord loves them and how the Lord wants to be their father. And it was just the opportunity you get overseas to pour into and love people is unbelievable. Like you just go and you get people who invite you in their home and you get to really love them for Jesus. So every day I was waking up like, wow, this is my life. This has been at that point 10 years of dreams and prayers and hopes and it was exactly where God wanted me to be. And then God called my family back to the States and that was very hard because it was going from where I felt God called me to something that was familiar. But God calls us to honor our commitments and honor our parents and honor our authority. And God had told a lot of people to tell me to finish my degree. So I came back to the States and I'm graduating this summer, praise God. And so I... I got to see the fruit of obedience and how God blesses when we are obedient and even the things we don't want to do or is maybe where we don't feel like this is where I'm called. God opens up doors and God blesses it and God speaks and God moves and God got to grow me up a lot and show me faithfulness and teach me how to love and how to 
seek out the things of him and really be intentional with relationships because it's harder to, I think, it can be harder to love some people that are in your own backyard than overseas. And it can be harder to want to share Jesus with your coworkers than a kid in Africa and to be loving and forgiving. And so I think God really just showed me the his heart and how much he cares and loves, and this is a mission filled in its own. And people are so hungry and thirsty for Jesus and real love. You know, God's love is so foreign, I think, for a lot of people here. So just to be able to learn how to love and walk alongside people and how much we desperately need Jesus and to be intentional with Jesus, even when we're comfortable. And so now that I'm finishing school and I was able to um, graduate and I'm going to be able to graduate, he's going to be able to, I'm going to go. And God has opened so many doors, like literally um, uh, two months ago or less than two months ago, Pottersfield Pastor Mike was um, at Calvary and he was sharing his testimony through the potter. He asked what I was doing after I graduate. I said, I don't know. I just want to end up in Africa. And he said, come teach at our school. And so God has opened the door through Pottersfield. God has been opening the door for providing. God has opened the door. Even my teacher right now from my last class, her sister is a missionary in Africa teaching a school and she goes over and teaches reading. So she's going to be help training me on that. God has opened the door with um, family relationships that looked really rocky, but God is showing, even this morning, God is sharing a testimony of like my cousin who wants nothing to do with Jesus, seeing God's love and I've been able to pray and love him. God has shown, um, several people who have walked away from the Lord that I've been able just to pray and encourage bringing them back. And so this verse, like how losing heart, unless we believe that we would see God's goodness and his faithfulness and strengthening him and strengthening us in that, that is a full testimony. I feel like to the past two and a half years of being here and daily working, showing things out here, like, I pray for someone and I see them at church that night like crazy. Um, And so this is a total testimony of the Lord's faithfulness to a 10-year-old girl who prayed to do missions and now God has opened so many doors for it. And so my continual dream is to eventually um, open or start a school in an orphanage because there's just a lot of orphanage, orphans, in Africa, a lot of the countries will have 8 to 10% of their population as orphans. So I would love, that's my ultimate dream. And so just to be able to walk in that and see how God has faithfully been opening the doors and guiding each step. That was just small little things of obedience. God now leading the way. Um, I just want to love people and share Jesus. And you get to do that so well there because people are so hungry. A lot of the people there have not heard the gospel, that you can just come to Jesus, that you can just, that he wants you, that you don't have to do this big thing. You don't have to be born of this family or make this amount of money or tithe this amount to it, that Jesus just wants you now and that it's a free gift. A lot of um, the Kids never don't have a relationship with their father, so they don't understand how God wants to be their father. They don't understand that they're wanted and pursued by the Lord. 
They don't understand that he wants to be their peace and their strength, and he wants to be their protector, um, that he wants to, he has a plan for their life. And so you get the opportunity to love people and to share that and to literally be God's hands and feet, to literally hold and cry people and tell them about how God wants to be their comforter, to literally um, walk through life with them. So I just ask for y'all's prayer. There's a lot of spiritual attack there. There's a lot of um, just darkness. And I have seen God guide each steps, but if you guys could be praying for God's guidance, that he'll work out the details, um, even with plane tickets, with I'll be getting um, health insurance while I'm there, and my living condition, where I'm going to be living. I still don't entirely know where I'm going to be living. Um, I'm working out the curriculum because I want, I'm going to be the teacher, and I don't want to just halfway teach. I want to be able to offer the best education and the best I can. So if you could even be praying that God shows me what to bring, God shows me they'll have a curriculum there, but that God will guide on how, how to teach. I mean, a couple hundred kids English every week and that uh, God will guide that and that God will continually provide. Um, I am raising support. I know um, God has faithfully provided like so much so far, but I want to be able to go and love and share Jesus with as many people as possible and help um, also cover as many of the kids as possible. So a lot of the curriculum and a lot of the things I'm bringing and I'm um, kind of raising support and then the living expenses for while I'm there, like with insurance and food and housing and transportation and all that stuff. And just that God will continually guide. Um, you have so many opportunities and so many people to love and to pour into that I really want to be guided by the Lord on who, who he wants me to um, invest in and what he wants me to do. Um, I really want him to be the leader and the, my shepherd. And so if you would just pray that God would direct my heart and God would show me where to go, that every step would be led by him and that I would be confident in that. So as the verse says, like, I have seen the faithfulness of the Lord, and I thank you so much for everyone who has been praying for me and supporting me and encouraging me. I would not be here without that. I know that it is through prayers that I am here. So um, if you, thank you all so much. And if you have any questions or comments, or anything feel free to ask as well I also have a newsletter so if anyone's interested in that then if I could just get your email I can add y'all to that I'll be trying to keep y'all updated every month on what God's doing and then please pray for this um, because I know I'll need a lot of prayer so thank y'all yeah. I have the elders come on up we'll take some time to pray so if someone wants to support you, what's the uh, way in which they go about that? Um, Calvary Houston has set it up through Calvary <laughs> Houston has set it up through their page, so you could give online. Um, if if you wanted to go through calvaryh.org through their give, and then Uganda Missions. Um, if anyone needs any more information, feel free to ask. I can show you how. 
Let's pray. Lee, you want to open us and I'll close us? And if anyone else wants to pray, I encourage you to do so. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus, Father. The Father of mercy and comfort, Father.